All right, we'll jump into the next section. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses um, 1 through 3. And then we'll, um, this, this may not be as long as the first session, but again, any questions that you have, uh, make sure to write those down so you can ask during the Q&A time. We really enjoy Q&A. Well, I enjoy Q&A. Danae does not, but... Um, I just like to know what people are thinking. Like, what are you thinking? So ask me the question. Let's have a conversation. So I enjoy that. So um, I told you earlier that we had six, we have six kids, uh, mostly all adult now. Um, Our youngest is 16, right? Jonah just turned 16 this summer. Uh, Our oldest, Titus, is 21, right? He's 21. Uh, He's been married a year. Um, His wife is a year or two older, so she would have had to buy alcohol for him their first year of marriage. If he did that thing, if he did did that kind of thing, and I'm sure they don't drink alcohol, but um, but yeah, that's just, he was married. My point is he was married uh, a year ago uh, when at 20. Um, And then Nathan is, is he 20 yet? Nathan will be 20. No, he's 20. He'll be 21 in February. Um, Nathan is in the military, and then he works for a company. They repair foundations around houses and big buildings and stuff. Nathan is our extremely wild child. He left home, like moved out when he was 19 just because he wanted to be on his own. And, um, and then we have Anna. Anna, no, Isaac. Isaac is 19 too, right? Okay. Yeah, Isaac is 19. We adopted Isaac from Ethiopia when he was four. Isaac is like a 80-year-old man. That's the way he acts. Uh, He has like a routine every day. He gets up. Right now he's going to work. He comes home, watches TV, something sports-related every day. Our dog sits with him, and that's just what he does. I went in his room, and he had bought two new pairs of shoes, Yesterday, I'd noticed this, and they were the exact same shoes that he had bought like six months ago. And so, like, he's just an old man. That's just the way he does <laughs> things. And so, Anna is also 19, right? She's 19? She, she's 18. She'll be 19. Now, I don't know their ages. I mean, they're really close together, as you can see. Um, she will be 19, November 26th, right? Right? Is that right? 28th? Okay, yeah. Um, So she graduated high school, decided, I know a lot more about their life than their age or birth dates. Um, Graduated high school, decided she wants to open up a coffee shop, has saved a lot of money for that, works at a coffee shop in downtown uh, Richmond. Um, So that's what she wants to do. She's very driven, entrepreneurial type person. So that's her. And then um, who's next? Karis. Karis is 17. Um, She's, um, I don't know, she's just Karis. She works at Chick-fil-A. She's about to graduate. She's the funnest person you ever want to be around. Great personality. Um, She decided she just wants to be a wife and a mom. So we're praying that she meets someone to marry very soon. Um, And then um, Jonah. Jonah is our youngest and he is very, he is the classic youngest child. Very spoiled. 
He's gotten everything he wants his whole life. Uh, just by the time we got to him, we were like, man, we're worn out. And so just try to learn from your siblings and don't make the mistakes they made. And he does well by that. He's very athletic. I think he's, he plays football, basketball, baseball. I think he's going to try to play tennis and run track. That's just his goal in life is to play every sport he can possibly play. So those are our kids. And as you can see, they're, they're really close together. And um, we, over the last 20 years, uh, 21, Titus 21, have experienced so much in parenting. Good, really, really good things. Um, and then really, really, really bad things, like bad, bad things. And so as we dig into this, I want you to know, like, we don't, we don't, parenting is the hardest thing that I've ever done. And so we don't have all the answers. We don't, we don't do all the things that I think we're even going to talk about doing perfectly. But I do think that God gives us some structure for parenting that we have to uh, submit our life to, surrender to. It's one thing, and I think there's this, this um, feeling among parents is it's like it's really, really hard and so you just kind of give up and you just kind of exist and you just kind of survive. And I don't think that's the way to do it. I think it is really, really hard and it's going to be a lot harder if you don't do the things that God has called you to do as a parent for your child. And ultimately, their soul is at stake. Their, their, their soul is at stake in the way that you parent them. You want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved uh, and trust in him and follow him. That's what you want from them. And so God has given us some uh, boundaries for the way in which we parent, some commands, some rules. Um, and we see this beginning in verse 6 of Ephesians. Notice verse 1. Right off the bat, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now remember, wives, submit to your own husbands as or in the Lord. And so what, we're, what we see here, and then even in the next section when he's talking about slave and master, that there, there's, a there's, there's structure for authority uh, that God has ordained in the world, in our lives, and in our family. That you can't get away from our authority from understanding that someone is in charge and here it's the parents and the children are to obey the parents. They are to listen, they are to heed, they are to practice what their parents tell them to do. And notice he says, in the Lord. Um, and he says, for this is right. Now think about that. Children are to see their parents as authority. They are to respond to their authority in the Lord. Uh, that this is a good thing in, in the context of, um, of them following the Lord or obeying the Lord. They're to understand that, that a part of their obedience to God is that they obey their parents as their parents are obeying God. And he adds that qualifier there, for this is right, for this is good. And I think what he's getting at is this is God's design. This is the way things are ordered, uh, is that there would be a parent who would have authority and there would be children who obey in the Lord. This is the way God has designed the home. And then he goes on to say, 
Well, first of all, I think the quote there is in your notes. There is God-ordained structure for the authority of our homes. And to deny this is to deny our families the security of living in the Lord and the blessing of living in the promises of God as revealed in the gospel. And we see that when he says, uh, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And we go back to the Ten Commandments. We go back uh, to, to this promise that is made to children who to honor their father and mother. Uh, and he says uh, that it may go well with you and live long in the land. And we think about Israel. They enjoyed peace in the land that God had given them as long as they honored and as long as they obeyed the Lord and, and followed his law and followed his commandments. And when Israel turned to idols, when they rebelled against the Lord, they were uh, exiled. They were taken captive. They were punished for those things. And so what's the connection there? Well, Parents are not just to obey the Lord so that they find peace and rest in, in during their time, um, during their lifetime uh, before the Lord in the land. They are to pass on the commandments of the Lord to their children so that their children continue to obey the Lord and that they continue to find rest in the land. And that is so tied tightly tied uh, to honoring father and mother that the children are, under, are to understand my parents are obeying the Lord and if I obey my parents because they're obeying the Lord, I'm going to obey the Lord. And so it's not just obey whatever your parents are doing. You know, when the, when the people of God are into idolatry, there's no blessing in that. But as the parents are obeying the Lord and the children are honoring, honoring them, respecting them, listening to their authority, they too would be obeying the Lord and would enjoy the peace of the Lord in the land. Now, we understand that all of God's commandments and all of God's promises for peace and rest are fulfilled in Christ. And so for the Christian parent, the, this, this order in the home and this idea that children are to honor your commands and follow after you ultimately has to do with the gospel. That, that when the Christian parent is giving their children instruction, teaching their children, calling their children to obey and follow them, ultimately it's for the sake of the gospel. And at some point, those things are going to be tied together, that you would be able to say as a Christian parent, as my children follow me and do the things that I say and, the, and, and, and obey and fulfill the things that I want for them in their life, ultimately, that's going to be that they come to know Jesus Christ, that they're following Jesus. It's the same thing Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is the promise here that is fulfilled in Christ for the Christian parent. And that if your children are honoring you, ultimately it would mean that they would follow Christ and they would know the peace of Christ here. And so here's some questions for you as you think about that and you think about this guide to authority in your home and how you're using it for the sake of your children. Am I parenting in the Lord? Well, am I parenting in the Lord for the sake of the gospel? Is the gospel promise the goal of your parenting? Like, can you say that? Or, or is it just that you would have well-behaved kids? Or do you want, really want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you're going to order your home a certain way and you're going to establish authority because you want them to come to know Christ. 
Another question, in obeying me, are, are my kids obeying the Lord? Now, that has to do with you, right? Like, are you obeying the Lord? Are you surrendered to the Lord? So that when you're asking things of your kids, like you know it's in, it's in those boundaries, the guardrails. I'm obeying the Lord, so when I'm saying follow me, ultimately that's what's happening in their life. In following, my, following me, are my kids following Jesus? Can you say that? Am I parenting for Jesus' glory and the soul of my kids? Just asking yourself those questions. Or am I parenting for my reputation, ease, or to be liked by my kids? What I find a lot of times with parents right now is they just want parenting to be easier. They want life to be easier. They want their kids to not act crazy. And that is the goal of parenting. But there always has to be a greater goal that you're looking to. And that is, are they going to obey the Lord? Are they going to be in the Lord? Are they going to be following Jesus as they follow me? What is the goal of my parenting? And then ultimately, if that's the case, are you clearly articulating the gospel for them? When is the last time you shared the gospel with your child? When is the last time you shared your testimony with your child? Like, just set them down and... That, that tells a lot about what we want for them, is that they know that about us, and that ultimately, all the mistakes that we make, and by the way, we're going to make tons and tons of mistakes, you're not going to, it's not that you have to be perfect so that your kids all of a sudden become Christians, you're going to make tons and tons of mistakes, but at the end of the day, all the things that, mistakes you made and things that you've asked of your kids, do they know, but their, my, their ultimate goal is that I would love and follow Jesus, because they talk about it all the time. And, and so this is why uh, authority is established in the home, because it's right and it's good and the promises of God are tied to it. And ultimately the gospel is tied to it. And then he gives some specific warning to fathers here. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And again, we begin to see structure, husband, wives, and fathers. There, there are roles in the home that God has ordained here. And the father is to be the ultimate authority in the home. Now, the things we're going to talk about here, I think specifically are addressed to fathers when it's, he says, do not provoke your children to wrath. But I also think mothers are to be an extension of the father's authority in the home. It's not that we're just, we're kind of co-parenting and you have your style and you have your style. Ultimately, dad sets the, the, the precedent of authority in the home. He is the ultimate authority. And, and that's when, when, when I would leave the house and Danae was home with the kids, it, it, it wasn't like, okay, here's the baton, you take over, you got it now, however you got to do it. There was always this referring back to this is, this is the way that me and your dad think. And I would often tell my kids, if you disrespect my wife, you are disrespecting me. Like, when you do those things to my wife, you're doing those things to me. And so even when he's talking about fathers here, moms are an extension of that authority. That doesn't mean that dad comes up with all the rules and the plans and, and all that. I do think dads need to be more active in the way we parent in our homes. 
Um, but, but your kids have got to see you as one. And ultimately, dads, the buck stops with you when it comes to authority in your home. And then so he gives us this warning about how not to use authority. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, why does he have to warn with a uh, uh, misuse of authority? Because that's what we do with power. When we're given authority and power, we tend to misuse it. And again, Paul is redeeming the issue of authority in the home with the gospel. It says God has given you authority for good. And so don't use it for bad. Don't use it to provoke. Notice the word provoke means to prod. It means to irritate, uh, provoke your children to anger, to frustrate them, to exasperate them. We exasperate our kids when we misuse authority. And it happens in one of two ways. Misuse of authority goes in, in two extremes where we're overbearing, we're emotional and overbearing with our kids, or we're distant and passive. Those are the two areas. I'm overbearing and I'm emotional with you. I'm in charge, listen to me, and I'm reactionary. And then I'm in charge and I have authority, but I really never say anything and I'm passive. And those are misuse of authority in the home that affect our kids. And I'll say right off the bat, I am the overbearing one in our home. And all my kids would say that. I was teaching this at, at a men's thing at our church, and Titus and Isaac were sitting right in front of me, and they were laughing the whole time uh, because they, they, they know how overbearing I am. For instance, they have a ball game. Like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm coaching them up when I'm there, when I'm not there. Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to think. Here's what you, I'm texting them all the time. Uh, Jonah had a ball game last night, and, and on the bus ride over, uh, he's on the bus, and I'm texting all these things. You make sure to contain the outside. You go down the field this way. Go to, go to the outside shoulder, and I'm doing all this. And I imagine when Jonah got off the bus, he was ready to cry. Or he probably just didn't read any of it, and it didn't matter. Uh, but that's just how I am. I'm a micromanager, and I can be overbearing. Uh, and it has negative effects on my kids. But to be passive in distance is also a misuse of authority, too. Because God has given you that authority. And to not use it is not good for your kids. And so how do you know that you are, are going in one of these two ways? Um, well, if you are overbearing and emotional, usually your kids will be beat down, they will be insecure, they will be people pleasers, and they will always be looking for attention. Um, that, that happens when you are overbearing and emotional. What about when you're passive? Your kids are just out of control and they don't respect authority. Um, now I believe kids should have fun. I believe little boys should tear things up and do crazy things all the time. But ultimately, they have to have some kind of authority that steps into their life. I, I've coached for, I don't know, like 16 years, baseball, football, some basketball. And I always would, you would always see the kids, um, you're coaching kids who, who did not have a good home life and specifically didn't have dads in the home. And I'm a very uh, quiet coach. I don't yell. I don't scream. I have parents that just get mad at me. Like, 
and, and they would just make a beeline to me after the game. And I thought, well, here we go. They're mad that their kid didn't get to play or something. And I had, I had one mom get in my face one time and say, would you just yell at my son? <laughs> I was like, I don't do that. And, and, and so, but there would be times where I would raise my voice. And there would be little uh, 13-year-old boys who would just start crying. And I was like, what's wrong, man? Are you mad at me? No, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I love you. And, and, but they, he had never had anybody raise his voice. And it wasn't even in anger. It was just coaching him up. Uh, and that has negative effects on kids when you're not using your presence in an authoritative way to guide them. Why? They don't know the boundaries. And, and by the way, here is the point, the overall point with this. You are helping your children understand who God is in the way that you use your authority. God has a presence, an authoritative presence. He is holy, holy, holy. And by the way, we believe that the Bible is his word. And when he speaks, he speaks authoritative. And so if your kids don't understand authority, and then all of a sudden you're saying this is the word of God and has authority, they have no concept of that. And when Jesus, the Lord of glory, who died for their sins, raised from the dead, says, follow me, if they don't understand that that's for their good and you've used your authority for their good, they go, well, really? Why? They, you are shaping their understanding of authority. And some of us are telling our kids that God is just an overbearing tyrant. Others of us are telling our kids he's just this foreign concept that has really nothing to do with your life. And so we have to have a balance of authority. And so what do we do? Well, we don't just get rid of authority. We use our authority as grace in the life of our kids. Authority establishes order for the good of our kids. Uh, authority, um, this is what God does. He gives us commandments for our good. And by the way, we don't understand the gospel if we don't understand authority. God, God gives us his law authoritatively. Do this, don't do this, thou shall not. He's serious about it. And so he, he establishes authority, and we understand there's right and wrong, but then also he uses his authority for grace. Because when we rebel against his authority, he gives us grace in Christ. But here's the issue. We don't understand grace without authority. And your kids will not understand grace without authority. Without right and wrong in your home, they don't understand grace. If they're just allowed to do whatever they want to do all the time, and you step in and say, I'm being gracious to you. Gracious for what? You never told us we could or couldn't do anything. We could do what we want any, all the time anyway. But if you say, these are the rules, and this is for your good, and I love you, and when they violate the rules and they disobey, and you're able to step in and say, I love you, they, they have a concept for that because they disobeyed your authority. And then they understand what true love is. You love me even though I've sinned against you. The same, what's what God does to us? We don't understand grace and love without authority. God's authority defines what grace is. This is sin. This is, this is right. This is wrong. He tells us what these things are. There's, God's authority is established in just common grace in the world. And you do the same in your home. It is gracious for you and loving for you to, to raise your voice to your child and say, don't run in the road. That's authority, but it's gracious, right? 
And, and that's how we should use our authority for grace in their life. And ultimately, they hear, don't do that. I love you. I don't want you to hurt yourself. This is for your good. I need you to listen to me. I love you anyway. I'm being gracious to you. And then ultimately, you begin to say, this is who God is. And they have a concept for that. Oh, I'm a sinner and I've disobeyed God. I rebelled against his law and his authority. And he loves me. And he's present with me the way you are present with me. And you're not emotional and angry and shunning me. No, you still love me and you embrace me. And you're, they begin to understand the gospel because of our authority. And this is what God does. He is authoritative. We are to fear him, but he uses his authority for our good. And our kids should have a, a healthy respect for authority in the home if they're ultimately going to understand the gospel and run to God as their father. And so so don't provoke your children to anger. Don't misuse your authority. And then he, uh, he ends here by saying, I told you this would be a little bit quicker, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we've moved from don't do it this way. Don't, don't use authority for your own good to irritate to, to cause your, your kids to be wrathful and angry and rebellious and reject authority, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this, this requires, first of all, presence. It does require authority, and it's an ongoing process. Um, he says, bring them up. It means raise them, responsibility uh, to raise them into adults, to raise them into children who love the Lord. He says, discipline. The word there is to train or practice or exercise in the Lord. Again, it's more than an event or moment. And I would just say to parents here, remember that, right? We, we often go through seasons in life and we're like, oh, this is horrible, like, this is so bad. All six of them have just, they hate us. And they, like, they're just doing the worst possible things. That We just go down the list. They all fail. And, and we have to remember, oh, this is just, there, there's, this is a lifetime. It's a lifetime. There were little things my kids did when they were like five and six that just drove me crazy. Why are you doing this? Sit down. Be quiet. And they're just, they're, you know, they're, they're going to end up in hell and they're going to just, this is horrible. And then you realize, oh, you know, we got a long way to go. We got 18 years in our home to figure this out. And so don't get caught up in the moment. It's an ongoing process, training, exercises, exercise in the instruction of the Lord. Now, I think primarily he's talking about the commandments of the Lord that ultimately lead us to discipleship in the gospel. But one of the things, and I think this verse is, is referring back to, this instruction of the Lord can also be connected to the book of Proverbs, which is also wisdom. And so most of what he's talking about here is an ongoing process over the course of a lifetime where you're teaching them to, to fear the Lord, honor the Lord, and live in wisdom before the Lord. Um, when they're little, it's behavior. <laughs> it might be behavior. Um, that is your focus. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's discipleship. I need to teach them what it means to, to believe the gospel and follow Jesus. And now with most of our kids, it's turned into we're just trying to impart wisdom to them. 
And it's a, it's a process, instructing them to be in the Lord and follow the Lord over the course of their life. And so you, you want them to sit down and have self-control. And then at some point, you're going to want them to, to believe, make sure they're following Jesus. And then you're going, to, you're going to be teaching your kids how to be leaders, protectors, and providers, how to find a wife, how to uh, find a job, how to work. Um, now, I, like if, I, if I had to, like, if I was doing, like, um, you know, the things that I'm good at and things that Danae's good at, Danae... Danae was really, really good at making sure our kids knew, knew the gospel. Like, I'm just, I'm just mad a lot of times. And like, I don't, I don't, Jesus, what, why are we talking about Jesus right now? They need to get straight. Like, they need to get right. Like, this ain't have anything to do with Jesus. And she's like, you know, Nathan, we just want you to love the Lord and follow the Lord. And I'm like, oh, I want him to pay his bills. Like, I don't. <laughs> And, and so that we, we, we're a really good team in that way, right? Uh, but she's always getting the gospel in. Uh, but I also believe that you've got to think through their whole life and what you're cultivating in them. Um, teach them how to work. Teach them how to manage money. Make sure they understand, um, you know, what immorality is as they enter their teenage years. And you're going to be managing phones and you're going to be doing all those kind of things. Um, it, right now, for some of you, just maybe sit down. And then later, it gets way more complicated. And so understand it's over the course of a lifetime. And ultimately, you want them to believe in, God, in, in Christ and follow Christ. Now, all of these things here, just some, some I guess, when, when he talks about the communication there and he talks about training, just some things that, that we put into practice the way that we think about this instruction and discipline. It, it, al it always comes down to communication. Like when Chorus, just beautiful Princess P. Chorus, like she's in her bed with a massive plate of spaghetti, like at 15 years old and making a mess. And she's got water bottles all over the place. And and I walk into her room one day and I'm like, this place is a mess. I mean, look, you have a plate of spaghetti on your bed. When are you going to eat that? What is going on in here? And I remember her saying, I didn't know I couldn't eat in here. You never told me I couldn't eat in here. And she's 15. Like, you should know by now you don't eat spaghetti on your bed. Like, that's just, why would you do that? But her point was, when did you tell me I couldn't do this? And so much in our, so many times in our kids' life, they're turning, we're yelling at them. Why did you do that? Ah! And they're turning to us going, you never told me I couldn't do that. And so I think a key to these commands is uh, preemptively giving them instructions, making sure you are ahead of them on the behavior that you want them to have. Get out in front. You have a vision for, for what, what is good and what is right for them. Get out ahead of it and make sure you're communicating that to them. This is how we're going to do things. When we show up here, you're going to look this person in the eye. You're going to shake their hand. You're going to speak to them. You're coaching them. And then, then here, oh, here's Mr. Joe at church, and what they normally do is hide and run away. No, we talked about this on the way to church. Here's Mr. Joe, and Mr. Joe's really uncomfortable and doesn't want any part of this. Uh, look him in the eye, shake his hand, and you're coaching them, and then they, they should look him in the eye and shake his hand, and you're like, yes, that was amazing. Go over there to the, the coffee bar and get you three donuts. And... <laughs> 
Like that, that's how you do. That's how, that's with so many things. Uh, so many things that are even more important than that. This is how we're going to do this, And you're coaching them. This is what this training looks like. Constant, consistent uh, coaching, communication. Also consequences for sin. If you do this, this is going to be the consequence. And when they do this, there is a consequence, not just a threat. Like we often would get into situations that like we're in a room and I would say things like, um, if you do that, you're not going to play in the game tonight. And that, that is just stupid because I'm never going to hold, hold to that, right? Like that, I, and we, we would regroup and Danae would say, quit, quit making threats that you're not going to carry out. And we got better at that as time went on. Like we were just dealing with an issue with one of our kids. I think it was last week. And Danae was like, I'm just not going to say something that I'm not going to hold to with them. And so make sure there are consequences for their disobedience. And you're clear and you're consistent. Why? God is holy. God is righteous. He's consistent. And so you're teaching them what holiness looks like as there are consequences for their sin. Um, kids are often emotionally insecure and out of control uh, when communication is overbearing, but also when it's sparse, it's emotional and reactionary. They're just, I mean, I, I used to coach with this guy. I know I'm talking a lot about coaching, but I used to coach with this guy and he would be on third base and he's screaming at the batter the whole time. And he's like, get your back elbow up. No, don't lift. Uh, make sure to turn your back hip. And he's just yelling at the player. And the kid is in the box, like scared to death. And he's thinking about all these things he has to do when the ball is pitched. And he freezes. He doesn't know because I got this person just barking at me the whole time. And a lot of times we're that way with our kids. We're just overbearing. Do this, do, 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 do. And they're just frozen. And, and they're emotional and they're insecure in that way. So make sure here's, and this was just, I know I'm going back to coaching, but we would always coach really, really hard in practice. And then we would say very little in the game. And I think it's a good principle for parenting. You're coaching really, really hard at home. You're, you're, you're coaching. And then when we show up at something, okay, either you're going to do the right thing or you're not. We'll deal with that when we get back home, but let's see how it goes. I'm right here. I'm for you. And there may be immediate consequences, but I think, that's a, I think that's a good way to think about parenting. And then last, if, if there's one thing, I get asked this all the time. What is your one thing that you would tell parents? Like, what, what, is, what sums up good parenting, maybe? And, and I'm just telling you, I, I haven't come up with anything else and it's just being present with your kids. Like, I don't, I know that sounds like, you know, a Hallmark commercial or something, but I, it, it really is true. Like, we, we just made a decision. I was in ministry and with six kids, how are, how are we going to be present with them? And we, just, we worked really, really hard when they were in the home that we were going to be at everything. We were going to be in their lives. Um, we, we homeschooled our kids most of the time, and it wasn't any sort of crazy convictions that are just out there or whatever. It was just, we just want to be with our kids. We want to be present with our kids. We want to influence them. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but presence takes care of a lot of things. 
Because when there is rebellion and there's sin and there's wickedness, they still know mom and dad's there. They're not going anywhere. And we tell our kids that all the time. We ain't going anywhere. We're still here. We're here. We're right in front of your face. Uh, you're not, it's going to be really hard to get rid of us. Uh, we're going to text you. We're going to call you. We're going to be in your life. And, and presence takes care of so many things, and especially a father's presence. You are establishing what it means for God the Father to be present in your child's life. God establishes our identity by being present with us. And you're doing that as a mom, as a dad, by being present with them. You're establishing who they are, the way you think about them. It's seen on your face. Uh, you're around them, and they just know it. And so there's going to be times in their life where they, they just know my, my mom, my dad, they're there, and they're for my good. They're present in my life. And you're going to do a lot wrong as a parent, um, but, but just, just be there at the end of the day and do the best you can before the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll do whatever's next. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about your word today. God, it is a, a privilege to, to gather with your people and just... Um, just think about what you've called us to do as, um, in our marriages and as parents. God, it is a blessing, and I pray that we see all of this as a blessing um, to reflect your goodness and your glory in the world. And I, I pray for the marriages here. God, strengthen them. God, if there's anything today that, that um, uprooted the need for uh, repentance, God, I pray that that would happen. Planning. Pray that that would happen. God, I pray for uh, the children that are represented here today. God, I pray that they would um, have godly parents who love the Lord and that you would use uh, these men and women, these parents, fathers and mothers, uh, to teach them, to instruct them, to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but ultimately to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.